Do Christians need to go to church? Do Christians have to go to church? Should Christians go to church? Hi folks, this is Andy, the analytical preacher. I get asked those questions all the time. And before I provide a detailed answer to those types of questions, I always tell someone that if you're looking for the absolute minimum that you quote unquote have to do in order to barely squeak into heaven as the last guy in, then you probably need to examine your Christian faith overall, not just answer the question, do I have to be baptized? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to give money to the kingdom? If you're asking those types of questions, you probably need to go back and re-examine. The truth is, a saving Christian faith, it pushes us, it changes us. It makes us want to eagerly seek out, what can I possibly do with the Lord? What can I possibly do for God? How can I work alongside? How can I give myself back? What should my response be? Rather than just trying to uncover some minimum list of here's the things I must do. Saving faith isn't a faith that says, what's the absolute minimum I can do? Saving faith is the faith that has changed us so deeply that it says to us, we eagerly seek and desire to do all the possible things that we could do with and for Jesus Christ. As I go into more detail about the question of should Christians be in church, do Christians need to attend church, etc., what I don't want to do is turn this into an argument of I say this and you counter with that and I say this. Because really, if I try to make a logical argument, you try to make a logical argument, I make an argument from my heart or you make an argument from your heart, we're just going to pass each other in the night. We're really not going to connect at all. All I want to do here is let the scriptures speak for themselves. And I just want our hearts to hear what does God's inspired words say relative to church attendance. And then each of us has to examine that in light of where we stand. So let me just start off. One of the first times that Jesus mentions church is in Matthew chapter 16. You find it in verses 15 through 18. And here we say Peter makes what we call the first good confession, the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And when Jesus asked him, who do you think I am? And Peter said, I think you're the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, I own that confession that I am the Christ, the Son of God. Own that confession. I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell, depending on which translation you're looking at, will not overcome it. Jesus originally spoke in Aramaic. When Matthew wrote his gospel, he wrote it in Greek. And so he wrote the word ekklesia. Jesus says, upon that confession that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my ekklesia. Ekklesia just means a calling out of people to be gathered together for a general stated purpose. So the Greeks would have used it to talk about political gatherings in the town square, etc., But Jesus is saying, I'm building a different kind of people. I'm calling out and gathering together a different kind of people. And that group of people, that ecclesia, that church in which believers who've made this confession should and will participate, that is what will overcome the gates of hell. So Jesus didn't say, I died for an individual sinner. He's saying, I'm dying to establish a church. Jesus does not say that individual sinners will defeat Satan, but that the church, the ecclesia, the ones that are called out to gather together in his name will be what the gates of hell or Hades 
will not be able to overcome. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, what we call 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, Paul goes through and talks about the members of an individual local congregation as members of a body. And he says, your body, it needs eyes and ears, it needs feet and it needs hands. And you can't really do without, you're not complete if you don't have all of those parts. Today, we might use a sports team for that. If it's a baseball team or a softball team, if we go to play, we don't have our pitcher, we don't have our catcher, we don't have our shortstop. We're likely to be a very ineffective team because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that God designed the local body and designed you to be a part of a local body and to provide a certain need for that local body. And if you're not providing that need, you may say, I can worship God just fine from my bed on Sunday morning, or I can read the Bible by myself on Wednesday night. What do I need a church for? And Paul says, you need a church because a nose sitting out by itself or a foot sitting out by itself is really of no value and may not realize it's of no value until it joins with the other members that God has prepared in that same local congregation. And all of a the sudden, they see the synergistic effects of being a church together and going to church together. We can read in the scriptures, we can go to the Old Testament, and there were regulations about worshiping in and around the tabernacle. There were regulations about worshiping in and around the temple and the sacrifices that were to be made and the things that were to be in the different components of the temple, etc. And we see from that, God desires corporate worship. The God who made me and the God who saved me says to me, I deeply desire you to worship with other people. John gave us a look into the future in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, and we see the same thing. We see God's people gather together in corporate worship of Him, not just individual one-on-one worship. People were made to be in fellowship with one another, to have social interactions and connections with one another. And God says, And when you fellowship and have those connections, it needs to also be in the church, in and around corporate worship. A great verse that always brings that point out to me is found in 1 John chapter 1. It's actually two verses, verse 3 and 4. 1 John 1, 3 and 4, John writes this, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be made complete. John's saying the same thing as Paul. If you walk around as an ear, you really don't realize what your true value is until you're connected to the side of someone's head, and now you help the entire person, the entire body, perform better. And John is saying, we are fellowshipping this group of Christians, this ecclesia that's been called out. We are fellowshipping with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're proclaiming Jesus Christ to you that you too may have fellowship with us. Because as all believers fellowship together, our joy becomes complete. There are some things Humans are not designed by God to do alone. 
and worship God and study about God, pray to God, take communion. Some of those things we do individually, but they are also meant to be done corporately. It's simply how God designed it. And we see even in the secular world, in the non-Christian world, how important fellowship is, how important social interactions and connections are. An academic, a secular academic, Robert Putnam, he's written a couple of books, Bowling Alone and The Upswing. And in this, he talks about how our social interactions, our going to church, our joining bowling leagues or lions clubs or whatever, that as those activities have decreased and those connections have dissipated over time, we see in our society an increase in anxiety. We see increases in depression. We see increases in stress. People are cracking because they don't have the strength of the social connections. If God is the most important thing in our lives and social connections are important for us to remain mentally and emotionally and spiritually healthy, it just makes sense then that yes, our joy would be made most complete if we go and play our role in that church body, just as Paul tells us to in 1 Corinthians 12. And so because of all of these factors that I've mentioned, Jesus died to build the church. It's a church that's going to overcome the gates of Hades. Human beings need fellowship. We need to worship corporately. We need the strength of other believers to keep our own faith strong. And we see in the Old and the New Testament, God desires corporate worship. And we know part of the reason he desires corporate worship is because it's so beneficial to us to do that. We see because of all these factors, the earliest Christians. So you can look in the book of Acts and starting in around Acts chapter 2, the middle of Acts chapter 2, going all the way through into Acts chapter 20, we see, and there weren't specific buildings built at the time. They would go to each other's houses. They would go to community centers. They would go back sometimes to the Jewish temple and hang out in the outer courts. But we see early Christians so adamant about hanging out together And it says in Acts chapter 2, they prayed together. They studied the apostles' teaching together. They fellowshiped together because humans need those social connections. And they took communion together. And we read in some cases they were doing it weekly. On the first day of the week, they were doing it on Sundays. In other cases, they were doing it every single day, spending some time with fellow Christians in some kind of a formal worship setting at least once a week, and in some cases, even more. And so we get our example from early Christians in Acts says, yes, you absolutely need to be a part of a church body. Every preacher will tell you the closest that Scripture gets to a direct command that says, you go to church, comes in Hebrews chapter 10. Let me just read three or four verses. In Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23, The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. 
This clearly says, do not stop meeting together. Some, this is just a few decades after Jesus had gone back to heaven. Some, it says, have already got out of the habit of going to church on a regular basis. But you can't do that. You have to maintain your hope. You need to be going because it's beneficial to you. But Christianity isn't about selfishly serving ourselves. You need to go because you need to stir up one another to love and good works. And frankly, you need to do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, the closer we get to Christ's return, the more his faithful believers should be hanging out with each other in church, not less. It's a very interesting way that this ends here in verse 26. It talks about if we go on deliberately sinning, well, deliberately sinning, how? Well, it tells us here, really. It says, here's what you need to do. This is what God is commanding you to do. Hold fast your hope and your faith in Jesus' promises. Is Jesus who he said he is? Did his death on the cross pay for my sin? Is he coming back to get me, etc.? So I need to hold fast my faith and my hope in Jesus' promises. I need to go to church and not neglect going to church. I don't need to get out of the habit of going to church. And I need to, while I'm at church, I need to be stirring up and I need to be encouraging other people to go on and do good works both with me and apart from me. And so if we are failing in any of those things, Hebrews is saying, look, you're sinning deliberately. You have to maintain your faith in Jesus. You need to continue to go to church. And you can't make church just about you. You have to make church about a place where you can snap in and where you can encourage and stir up others to do good work. And again, I'm not interested in winning a debate. Some individuals who may be pretty solid believers with a pretty strong faith who haven't been attending church and maybe haven't been attending for years, as they hear these words of mine, they may already be building up in their mind how they're going to logically counter my arguments and what I say. I'm not interested in arguing with a Christian about whether they need to go to church. I simply want to say, this is what the scripture says. Jesus died to build the church. The writer of Hebrews says, do not stop going to church, but don't go for selfish reasons. Go to stir others up to love and to good works. Paul says, God made you and designed you to be an important part of your local body. And you're not complete without that local church body. And that local church body is not complete without you. And frankly, you're being a bit selfish if you're depriving others of that stirring up and encouragement, depriving others of those gifts that God gave you to serve in that local church. I think the best way to approach this is not to try to come up with a list of things that, okay, Andy made four points as I understood it, and here's my response to each point. I don't need to go because I worship God when I'm hiking in nature. I don't need to go because I can study the Bible and read it for myself. I'm more of an introverted person who likes to study one-on-one. I don't need to go to church because I pray every night in bed anyway. I'm not interested again in this back and forth. I just want to say to you, this is what scripture says. And the earliest Christians went to church and they were adamant about going to church. And the Bible says, don't neglect to go to church. And the Bible says, but don't make church about you. Make church about you stirring and encouraging. Make church about you plugging in that hole in that local congregation God is calling you into. 
in a way that benefits the entire group, in a way that makes you part of something bigger than yourself, not just go to reduce your own anxieties or to be seen or to meet people, etc. And I know so many people as we talk about church, and I can tell for some individuals, there is a bit of guilt. There is kind of this understanding deep down. I know I should be part of a church body. I do feel as if I'm being a bit selfish because I've made it about me. I don't like the music at that place or I don't like the time that they meet. But you can tell they're really wrestling with some, honestly, some guilt, some conviction probably of the Holy Spirit that they should be more involved in a church on a regular basis, even though they're not. And they they tend to come up with very similar reasons that have to do with the hypocrites that you encounter in a church or the imperfect people in a church, even the imperfect or hypocritical church leaders maybe in some local church. Again, they don't like the music. There's all sorts of reasons that individuals give. Let me just say this. When I look at kids or spouses, I've never met any family that had perfect kids or a perfect spouse. And yet people are incredibly devoted to their children and to their spouses. They know sometimes they're not fair. They know sometimes they're imperfect. They know sometimes, quite frankly, they're hypocrites. When I talk to people about how they vote, most folks are very determined that they've voted for the right person for the right reason. And yet you know as well as I do, there's not a politician alive now or historically that was perfect. There's not a politician alive that's not been a hypocrite, that's not flip-flop, that's not been selfish. You say, yeah, I always vote for the Republican Party. I'll always vote a straight Democratic ticket. But again, you know the politicians you support and the political party that you primarily engage with, fund, or support. You know that there are imperfect hypocrites in that party, but you still see an overall value in that politician or in that party. We can go on and on. I ask people, do you go to concerts or sporting events? Oh, no, I'm not a concert person, but I love sporting events. I follow this team in college and this team in the pros. And I say, but when you go to watch their games or if you're a music person, when you go to hear a concert, is everybody, is every other fan of that band or every other fan of that sports team Are they good people? No, some of them are drunk. Some of them are morons. They yell, they kind of get on your nerves. But you continue to go. Why? Because I really love that team. I've been supporting that team since I was a child. I really love the music of that band. And so I put up, and you can see where I'm going. We can make excuses. I don't like the music at my local church. But again, church isn't about you. Don't be selfish. God is saying, I've given you so much. Now give back. How do you give back to God? You give back to God through giving back to his church by working in his church and serving the community with his local church. Don't make it about you. Yeah, but if I go, there'll be hypocrites and there'll be imperfect people. Right. Just like you experience in your family, in your workplace, and in the bands or the sports teams or the politicians that you favor and follow and attend rallies and concerts and sporting events for church in that sense would really be no different except you're getting much greater social value from church attendance than you will from going to concerts or voting for politicians at their rallies. And you're giving back to God who's given so much to you in the way that he desires for you to give back to him by not neglecting to go 
by filling your role as the hand, the foot, the eye, the ear, the finger, the toe, and by encouraging other Christians and stirring them up to love and good works, which is part of what Jesus saved you for, Ephesians 2.10, right? We have been saved by God for good works that God prepared beforehand. So if there is a local congregation which is missing a critical component because you have not been going, if there are good works that God prepared for you to walk in beforehand that you are not walking in because no one has encouraged you to do it, or you've not encouraged someone else to walk with you to do it because it's a two-person job, then I would ask you, seriously sit down and consider not how to argue with the points that I've made. Again, that's, that's not valuable to anybody. But just sit down and say, I want to seriously examine what are the real reasons that I've not been attending church? And are those reasons valid against Scripture? What are the real reasons? Is there some event, some person, something that I need to overcome, that I need to forgive? Do I just need to be more honest with myself about my true feelings of conviction about church? I would say examine yourself, examine your reasons for not going. Go back and look over how Scripture defines the value and the priority of Christ's ecclesia. And then just say for yourself whether you feel compelled that you should honor, worship, and obey God through church attendance, yes or no. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.